When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's T. Frank. Welcome to the BWI Daily Edition. We are live on YouTube. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. We're going to be talking about Penn State Central Michigan. What happened? How you feel about it? Because that has definitely been a thing through the last 48 hours since the conclusion of the game. People feel all kinds of ways about uh, sort of a blowout. We'll get to that with senior editor Nate Bauer, my buddy who always joins us on Monday so far as we've done this live. Coming up next on the BWI Daily Edition. Nate Bauer, clad as ever, joining us on the show. How are you feeling tonight? And more importantly, how are you feeling about Penn State football? Order, ask, answer in whichever order you feel appropriate. You know what? I'm I'm going to start with the news that it, this will actually come as a surprise to you. Uh, I got a new router, and so <gasps> there's oh, a chance. Yeah. yeah, there's a real there's a real chance that I won't up tonight. <laughs> you won't, and then we'll find out later what you were about to say. Is that yeah. what you're saying? Yeah. yeah. That that's, we that's might great. be able to we might be able to get through a whole show without uh a for the most line. part, for the most part, I just love getting new things. I love when people I I is it like a tech head or is there some sort of term for that of like when you like getting new things, or is that just being a dude? Because I just so, I know, love getting new stuff. So in the in the camera world, and I think that they do this for golf as well, it's called gas which is gear acquisition syndrome. And ah. so uh, there's a real culture in golf where these guys just, they can't get enough. Right. And so it's like, oh, yeah. you know, every putter is going to change their life and every driver that comes you know, like, it's just this constant cycle. And uh, you know, uh, I have my own opinions about that, but we'll <laughs> move on. I, uh, I, I have a little bit of that when it comes to, um, you know, my gadgets, but sure. I am entirely too destitute to be able to buy those things. Although I know that we both have the same television. So I know that we both have high quality opinions of what we, what we buy when it comes to the tech world. So I'm excited for this. This is exciting. I'm, I'm glad we're going to, we're going to have a, uh, a strong connection to Nate Bauer. So Nate, uh, we've talked since the game. Yeah. Talked a little bit. We texted a little bit, but I want to get your opinion on where you landed on Penn state's offensive performance. What were your kind of conclusions, closing thoughts on how everything went on Saturday? Yeah, I thought I thought that it lacked explosiveness. Uh, you know, that that was kind of the one thing that that stood out to me, certainly looking at Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford is such an easy target at this point. Right. And so I'm monitoring our message board over at Blue White Illustrated. One uh, dollar to sign up for our premium membership. Um, and so, you know all of the critiques and all of the uh, disappointment and frustration, I think that happened from Penn state fans during the course of the game 
was directed toward Sean Clifford, specifically in the second quarter. Obviously, he had the stat line. I'm going to mess this up, but it was something like eight for eight to start the game, was completing everything, had a bunch of chunk plays during that time, uh, and that converted into a seven of 17, I think it was, or eight of 18 finish to the first half. And what, what stood out to me the most from that was that all, all of the explosiveness, right? They, they had uh, a bunch of those first eight completions were for 15 yards or more. Yep. That totally went away. That totally went yeah. away. So not only was he not completing passes, but the ones that he was completing and the ones that Penn State's offense was completing were, were for very were single digit yardage, basically. Yep. Yep. Um, and so that was, that was, you know, kind of the key takeaway for me was, Hey, and we can get into this later, but Nick Singleton is not hot today. Uh, the offensive line isn't hot today. Yeah. And look at how quickly this kind of unravels when an opponent of Penn state can, can take an element of the game away. Yeah. So part of that to me, it, it was partly the game flow and was partly, Singleton's lack of explosiveness in in some setup situations. So play action was driving a lot of those big plays early. A lot of bootlegs, a lot of getting out in space, wide open windows for Sean Clifford, sort of easy pitch and catch. But you you can only you can only do that so much, right? Yeah. So I think there were 10 or 11 play action passes in the game. They got back to it in the third quarter once they started running the ball a little bit better, but in the second quarter and what uh, what Central Michigan was doing is they were they were run blitzing their safeties a lot. They were crowding the line of scrimmage, and to me, uh, we can talk about the cover zero comments from James Franklin and playing very aggressively, and this all plays in together. But it kind of felt like it created this atmosphere where then Sean Clifford and maybe the play calling decided, you know what, we're going to throw you out of this. Mm-hmm. You want to challenge us? We have better athletes. We're going to go get some explosive plays. And then there's some of that that was designs, like play designs that were good, that worked previously that they wanted to try. But it, it became a, a very different game in the second quarter when Singleton, who struggled early kind of with some patience and, and taking what was there, he kind of, the everything got stymied a little bit. And then that plan of attack, you can't really keep going to play action if, First off, you've done it a bunch. And then secondly, if no one believes that you're going to be able to run the football in those situations. So it created a situation where I think Penn State and as James Franklin talked about and you've emphasized getting away from the the run playing yep. balance was not the script in the second quarter. Yeah. Yeah. And and I mean, I'm, I'm looking right now at the at the explosive play chart. Uh, seven explosive passes. Five of them came in the first half and yep. four of those came before right uh early in the first quarter and then early in the second quarter and then it just kind of disappeared it just yeah. it just wasn't um right so Sean and even Sean Clifford in the third quarter had one and then that was it uh Drew yeah. Aller had had the second so it just it just you know i i it, it was it was interesting to me because yes you have a 14-14 game at one point Penn State goes up 21 to 14 uh, and and the way that it was discussed after the game in in the post game, right? You're you're doing mm-hmm. your show at that point, but it it's almost like a, a confessional in 
a church, you know, just like, yeah. oh, <laughs> you know, like the, the way that the media is talking to, to these guys, James Franklin and certainly the players yeah. is almost as though they had lost the game or almost yeah. as though, hey, this was so disappointing. It wasn't. It, it wasn't that bad. It just yeah. they, they just weren't clicking for for one reason or another. And it seemed to me very clearly that. It, it was a combination of factors. It was not as though it was just one guy who was having an off day on the offense or on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. Um, so a couple of the things we'll get to in a second, but I just wanted to stop and acknowledge Christian because Christian says, uh, good evening, everyone currently studying for my atmospheric thermo thermodynamic exam and listening to the best podcast ever. I couldn't even get through the name yeah, we of the exam. Yeah, we can't, even, we can't even read it. <laughs> somebody's a meteorology major at Penn state. Good luck, by the way, Christian, with your exam. Um, I don't know how you can focus while we're chatting in your ear, but I appreciate you being here. That is super awesome. And by the way, if you're listening to this and I know there's a, there's a bunch of you in the chat, we're going to be talking to you tonight as well. Make sure you like the video. It is incredibly helpful for us. Uh, you don't have to be like Mike. Um, this is the one few, one of the few examples you don't have to be like Mike. But a like is free. Mike donates the channel on a regular basis. He's one of our regulars. Always deeply appreciate uh, his support. And by the way, he met Tom Hannafin down in Alabama, he was telling me. So he's uh, he's becoming a regular, not just here on the YouTube channel, but with the staff. He says, do the explosive passes come after scrambling? My guess is they do. Um, it depends. They have in the past, Nate. They have in the past. They didn't in this particular game. A lot of those rollouts and, and, and pressure in the face of Clifford, I'm not going to say it's by design. You're hoping that the defensive end is going to bite on the play action, but that's, you know, some people, some people call that like the naked bootleg because you don't have a protector out there for the quarterback. So that's yeah. not a scramble as much as it is a designed rollout in those situations to get the ball on a level down the field. Um, the five the issue. Go I was ahead. just gonna say, five, I mean, five five runs for Clifford for twenty three yards. Were any of those in the first half? Did he have a carry in the first half? Um, he scrambled. I don't think he had designed carry in the first. The half. touchdown. The touchdown was in the fourth quarter at the end yeah. of the game. So yeah. Um, good question here. What constitutes an explosive play, Nate? What is what do they have in the official stat book? Because it's different depending on what statistical category you're looking in and, and who's giving you the stat. Yeah, I think I think internally their metric is actually a little bit different from the uh, stat broadcast. Is okay. this is inside baseball? But there's a there's a site, a network that has live stats as they update. Mostly they're password protected for media as the game is happening. But uh, a chunk run is considered ten yards or more, and a chunk pass is considered fifteen yards or more. But I think internally, Penn State. Uh, has that metric at 12 yards for an explosive run. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think the chunk pass is the same. I think 15 okay. yards on the chunk passes remains the same. Yeah, and it depends. Like I said, it depends on where you go. PFF, an explosive pass plays 20, and an explosive run is is uh, 15. But they do also track 10-yard runs, 10 and gotcha. over. So yeah. it, it depends on who you're asking. But really, it's, it's a non-standard play. A standard play would be one that gets you between four and seven yards, depending on if it's run or pass. So yep. a lot more than that. Um, Mark being super nice. Thanks, Mark. Uh, Bren Fleck, he says, I love this podcast. It's genuine and objective. Appreciate you saying that. Uh, one of the areas that I thought was interesting in the second quarter, 
is we're talking about Sean Clifford and kind of his inconsistencies. Yeah. The problem I find, and I've said this since week one, when, when James Franklin called the offense, um, what did he call it? Disjointed or, or kind of inconsistent. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't remember the exact. I believe he called them inconsistent. I've called them disjointed because lost their flow. Was that, was that what I saw? They definitely lost their flow at Central Michigan. I absolutely believe that. But the inconsistencies, yep. and it always seems to be in the second quarter. Penn State comes out with a great game script, and then the defense uh, adjusts, and Penn State takes a little bit of time to adjust back. Now, they've gotten points at halftime, so they do adjust back, but that second quarter has been pretty frustrating. And this week, what I observed was internal pressure. Overall, the offensive line did well. But Landon Tangwall and Salim Wormley struggled struggled at times with pressure and, you know, stunts a little bit uh, mm -hmm. were, were a part of the problem. Now, this is where you can get into a conversation about the 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 reality or the veracity of the pressure. Right. Because yeah. there are only a couple hits, two quarterback hits. Both came from the interior. But pressure in Clifford's face is where he struggles the most. Yep. And when he gets pushed off the spot. His feet and his eyes fall apart. Yep. So uh, if you're looking for a reason that the offense could not throw passes downfield and could not connect, he was getting pushed off the spot. He was getting hit a couple times. And that cover zero mentality, I think, is the next thing. Because that this is a big problem for Penn State, in my opinion. We've talked about this before with yeah. the receivers. A MAC team comes into Beaver Stadium and draws up a game plan that says, we are not afraid of your athletes in space. Um, so where do you want to go with this? Because I feel like <laughs> that's kind of the end of the sentence that yeah. it's happened three out of four weeks. But like, have we found a path forward at least? Like, have you seen any signs of life here? In terms of stretching the field for the receivers, I'm not sure. In terms of Sean Clifford hitting them when they are there, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I, I, my, I, I'm not, you don't want to just put it on one kid or one room, right? But the yeah. running backs, when the, when the running game is going, it changes things. It, it, it changes Penn State's effectiveness. I think that uh, all of the options open up right whereas i'm not saying that it condenses the playbook necessarily but it just it, it seems to me as though penn state tries to do one thing can't hit at that one thing and then doesn't change out of that mindset right until it yeah. gets to a point where it's that, like it's not it wasn't like it was too late against central michigan to change up and very clearly in the second half they did and then yeah. in the second half that things got going again and they were okay but um I, you know look one of the stats that stood out to me after the game was you you know you're looking at 33 points that's five touchdowns of those five touchdowns three of them came on possessions of, I think 37 was the, the longest. One, mm -hmm. they started with the ball at the nine-yard line. Another yeah. time, they started with it at the 17-yard line or something yep. to that effect, right? The, uh, That's what happens when you get four turnovers in a game. Cor correct. Yep. Correct. And so I think that the questions in my head all start to arise, right, of, okay, what happens if the running game's not going? 
All right. Well, yeah. what does that do? What does that do to the offense? Fine. We can have that conversation all day. All right. How about what happens if there's not a punt return that they need or an interception that they need or a fumble? Rec- I mean, you know, look, if you're gifted the ball at the nine yard line off of a fumble punt return that like you got to do something with it and they you got to score. Yeah. They did, but I'm just I'm just saying that some of these things that happened are Penn State making plays, showing its own versatility, showing all of the different ways that they can beat you, but also Central Michigan beating themselves in some cases, which will yeah. not be the case uh, necessarily for some of the opponents that Penn State has moving forward. I think that there's a couple things here. First off, a couple things here in the chat. Matt says, shout out to the show and the analysis on Blue White Illustrated. Matt, thank you so much. And uh, if you want to be like Matt and donate to the channel here on YouTube, we appreciate it. We appreciate everybody who's contributed so far. If you do uh, donate to the channel, absolutely going to get your question. But we're talking to everybody here on the show. Stephen Light says, seems like Clifford, maybe Aller, hard to remember, overthrew every pass that was 20 plus yards downfield. This is another issue. So this is going to kind of get into the conversation here that Brad asks. Brad says, are our wide receivers the weakest part of the game? Is it a lack of speed, poor route running, or does Clifford make them look bad? And Brad? Yes. A... <laughs> right? There's a lot. Yes. There's that's a lot the, going on. There. That's the answer is, is uh, look. Yeah. Mitchell, Mitchell Tinsley and Parker Washington are not burners. That's not no. what that's not what they are. That's not who they are. And frankly, that's not who they should have to be. They should be able to be what they are and excel in those roles. The issue is, and you can attest to this, Penn State is searching for a third receiver. They are searching yep. for some type of consistency out of that third spot. And look, there's kind of a reality to this at this point that basically everyone's gotten a shot. Trey Wallace has gotten a shot. Keandre Lambert Smith has gotten plenty of reps. Omari Evans has gotten plenty of reps. Uh, I'm missing someone. Uh, No, those are the three. So those are the three. Yeah. We we were going to say Malik Mega, but he hasn't. That one has decided itself. Correct. Correct. And so, I I mean, I just think that uh, you, you don't have speed out of the guys that you can rely on, which is fine. Uh, and the guys who you can't rely on do have speed. And so until those guys, until those guys change their status, right, either develop into the role or finally have it click, that's just going to be a a part of Penn State's offense that I think is missing. And then it's exacerbated by the fact that you're, it's the worst part of the quarterback's game that you're yeah. asking him to do. And so the, like it, it kind of goes back to that conversation that we had last year and all off season about, okay, well the, the offensive line not being a strong suit, but also the running backs not being very good. And yeah. those combinations of factors having to, you know, uh, at the, at the slot wheel go seven, seven, seven all on the same play just isn't, it's not likely it's not yeah. at, the, at the level of consistency that you want. Penn State's not so dominant that they can do all of those things, right? They're not going to have a receiver on every play break open wide yep, um, and have the offensive line block perfectly each time. But they need some of that to happen. So here, here is 
and I'm trying, I'm going to try and collect my thoughts here because this is kind of a microcosm on, on the second quarter is kind of a microcosm of everything that, that is a problem right now with the Penn state offense. First off, um, let's go back to this here. Steven says, it seems like Clifford overthrew every pass. that was over 20 yards downfield. I have it in my film analysis, his completion percentage on deep balls this year. I think he's hit two of them so far. Um, it's like 13%. If you want to check out the full figures and everything else and all the, the that stuff, bluewhiteillustrated.com, Nate already hit up the $1 subscription, which is going away soon. But you can check out all the exact stuff there. But he is not accurate in those situations. But we, we've talked about before here on the show, um, the throws you don't make are also as important as the ones you do and miss. So... All of this gets wrapped up into this conversation on one play to me. And this is a thing that I saw in film consistently from Central Michigan is they would bust coverages. They'd make mistakes. So in one particular coverage, it was in the second quarter. Um, they're running a, I think it's supposed to be a cover six where one side of the field's running one coverage and the other side is running a different coverage. So the underneath defender, the corner is staying put at the line of scrimmage, he's the underneath defender. But the safety on that side makes a mistake, and he drops into the wrong coverage. He goes back instead of expanding to the sideline. So Mitchell Tinsley is wide open down the sideline. Wide open. But a little bit of pressure under in Clifford's face, a little under his feet. He's looking at the safety. He sees this, but he has to confirm instead of throwing with anticipation, with actually throwing to the spot that Tinsley's going to, and getting a big play that way. There's just other examples, too, of Bretton Strange running an out route. If you throw when he break, he makes his break and the ball meets him in stride, he's going full head of steam upfield instead of he has to slow down a little bit, the ball gets to him, he's at the sideline, and then two defenders have a chance to rally. You just don't know what can happen when the ball is on time. Yep. And that's that's one thing. Secondly... I'm convinced that Mitchell Tinsley can be an explosive receiver. Um, I don't know that it is going to be through speed, but here is what he did last season. And I understand it's at Western Kentucky, and it was partially against some Big Ten teams, but it was consistent throughout the season. 360, uh, I'm sorry, 477 yards on deep passes, 36 yards per catch on deep passes, and four touchdowns. Whether it's catch and run or actual deep passes, He's got it in him to break tackles and make plays, but you've got to throw it to him in these yeah. situations, in these contested situations. I think Tyler Warren could have had a couple of plays, but if you're not willing to throw the football and trust your receivers to make those plays and throw to them in, in a spot they can catch, you this is mitigating the offense. This yeah. is This is mitigating what you might have there and so it's on the receivers, and I'm sorry if this is a very long answer, to get painfully wide open. Like, that's, that's, the, that's the solution here, like we talked about. Before, yeah. with you saying everything has to hit sevens, you hit the jackpot, and somebody, Jahan Dotson's wide open. So that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at the same time, uh, as soon as Katron Allen gets going, the yeah. offense looks okay. And yeah. and so I, I mean I, I don't know where you plan on talking about this in the show. Right is now. Now the, like now's yes. the time. Yes. Fantastic. That was my next thing. I was trying what to transition from negative to positive here. Because of oh, course that's... we did we did exactly what you said. Like 
they won 33 to 14 and we're talking about every wrong thing for the first 20 minutes of the show. Yeah. I mean, I look, I think that, I think that certainly the opponent plays a factor in it. I think that central Michigan was a tougher team than Penn state anticipated seeing. And so like you can get into the, I, I, and I wrote about this on Sunday. Like I don't at this point in my career, like going down the psyche train, because it was something that I loved to do earlier in my career. And it's just like, yeah. look, they're, you know, trap game and uh, coming off of the hive Auburn and thinking yeah. you're better than you are. Like all of those things are fun to talk about to a certain extent, but ultimately they're stupid. Like we don't get anything, <laughs> we don't get yeah. anything out of it. There, there is an actual uh, data point and then game that we watched and we could yeah. see yes or no. These are the things that they did. Well, these are the things that they didn't do well. However, however, uh, you know, look at how things change again when the running game opens up and for Penn state, this is something that I talked to you about before the show. There was a time last year, right, where if Kevon Lee didn't get going, uh, Noah Kane wasn't really happening. Uh, mm. You know, Devin Ford wasn't really happening. And so you just had this expectation that, okay, if Kevon Lee doesn't get going, it's not going to happen. Penn State has now had three back-to-back-to-back 100-yard rushers after taking something like 18 games before Nick Singleton's Week 2 performance against Ohio to go over a hundred yards. And to me, it spoke volumes that Singleton didn't get going. Kevon Lee was on the sideline. Couldn't even play because he's hurt. Uh, and you still had a hundred yard rusher. You still had a third yep. week in a row of a hundred yard rusher because that's what Katron Allen brings to the table. He's not going to burn you necessarily the yep. way that, and not even necessarily point blank. He's not going to burn you the way that Nick Singleton will, but, yep. but, he will cut you to death. <laughs> like he will yeah. eat you 12 yards at a time and just plod down the field. And that's, that's what he does. And I think it speaks volumes that, that Penn state now has this in their arsenal. You lost one of your three running backs that plays the other one who hits home runs did not hit home runs. Yep. And you still had a third who could get his on the day. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's a different it's a different makeup in the offense, but it still feels explosive because of the regularity in which he's getting positive yards. 13 carries, 111 yards and a touchdown, seven broken tackles, according to PFF. So early and then especially in the third quarter. And this is so <laughs> so just spent like 20 minutes saying how how disjointed the offense is and how they're in trouble if they can't find an explosive element to their team. But. I mean, if their running backs continue to be as good as they are and the team continues to adjust and adapt in the game, came out of the Auburn game saying they can run a lot of different stuff now in yep. the running game. They can run man, they can run zone, they can run a bunch of different varieties off of that. They've got a lot of, um, I'd say, unique wrinkles that they're adding into the game as well. And things are coming and going too. So they're continuing, continuing to evolve their running game. The fact that they are so diverse there means that as long as the guys up front are continuing to hit their blocks, don't have to dominate, but just be correct, mm -hmm. then these guys can make something happen. And Sam here brings up a really good point. He says, hey, guys, take my money. And I wish I could put up the GIF. 
appreciate it. My first super chat. Look at that. I appreciate you. Nick Singleton is an amazing athlete, but he gets tripped up way too much for how strong he is. Hope he can get stronger in the offseason in that area. Nate, we've talked about this, you and I, a little bit of like, I think we're seeing the first evolution of Nick Singleton. And then you're like, yeah, dude, but he's really strong. And I agree with you. But Sam does bring up a point of there's a lot of one foot tackles. And if Mm -hmm. he breaks those, Singleton is gone. Like the whole dynamic of this game changes if on that fourth and one or in a couple of other situations, he breaks one tackle and it's green grass and uh, the fight song. Yep. Uh, I just want to be careful here because, and this works in both directions. So I don't want to spoil the fun. Uh, Nick Singleton has 42 carries in his Penn state career. Yeah. So like gets tripped up a lot. I think it's something that it it sticks oh. in our memories when it happens because I think that as the viewer, we see the green grass that is in front of him. And so when it's that last, oh man, he's he's this close to breaking one and then it doesn't happen. Okay. Yeah. But like it uh, what's the what's the percentage of those runs? Because I know for a fact that five of them went for 50 plus yards. Right. Right. <laughs> right. So so what's the what's the actual percentage of, of his carries that he gets stripped up in the backfield or gets tricked up by uh you know an arm tackle? Maybe um, maybe an additional three, right? So maybe three or four. So oh, an well, equal number that didn't hit, which is which seems right, right? So you know, like you're not gonna hit every home run. This is not this this is not steroids baseball. You're not hitting 78 home runs or whatever it is. Yeah, he. Yeah, I, I want to see. I just, I, I, a lot of what I look at with this Penn State offense, and, you know, maybe it's a little bit of hangover and carryover from the last two years, but I just, I just want to see. Like, I just, I, I yeah. want to see Sean Clifford play another game. And, and I, you know, I get that the, the public sentiment of, of an appetite for, for Drew Aller. It, I get it. I totally get it. When you see him and some of the throws that he made at the end of that game, I totally yep. get it. But I want to see Sean Clifford again. I want to see him in more spots like he was at Auburn and more spots like he for the majority of the Purdue game, understanding the mistake at the end of the game. So it's just, I, I want to see more Brenton strange. I want to see the offensive line get another crack, uh, yep. right? Like I just over and over and over to see whether or not, uh, I, I made this point on Sunday to see whether or not this is a team that evolves and grows and gets better or conversely, if it's a team that gets figured out, yeah. if central, maybe if central Michigan figured it out and said, okay, this is, this is how you beat these guys. And that other people, because we've seen it before yep. other people playing right. Uh, monkey see monkey do. And yep. is that, is that what it's, Yeah. So yes. in any case, right, like just, <laughs> just following following that blueprint and saying, "Hey, this is this is how you get to these guys." And can Penn State burn you enough with that strategy to to make somebody get out of it? I, I yep. don't know. I think we're going to see. Yeah, and, and that was that. This was the first week where we saw a team, I think, have enough game film to develop a plan of Penn State's identity now, and not their identity of what it's been or kind of what you think their personnel is. So, and and also, you know, a team that showed the ability to get it done in that situation. And, you know, cause cover zero is not a new thing. We saw Minnesota or Minnesota. We saw Purdue run it the first week of the season. Um, 
But I this is where I go back to what we talked about with the running game and the diversity of things they can do. They do seem more adaptable this year in kind of the the core of the team. Yeah. And the offensive line is playing much better this year. Uh as as a unit, like as a total package and individually, you're getting better performances from a bunch of players. Want to get through the chat here. Um uh, we're going to get to Joshua's question here about the front seven when we talk about the defense in just a little bit. Um, but I want to thank everybody for being in the chat, for hanging out, and for uh, for for talking with us here on Monday night. Go ahead. Hunter Norzad is important. Yes, that's a very good point. He was not there. J.B. Nelson was in the game. And, and you saw early on, you know, in the film analysis that I did, a couple of couple of early mistakes kind of created the game script that we saw. Um, so before we get to the defense, yeah, there are good players too. I guess that's the last thing. Brent yeah, Strange, right. you mentioned him. He's a good player. He's evolving. Katron Allen, Nick Singleton. Um, they have enough skills and enough good players that there's a game plan going forward. We're focusing on all of the potential fatal flaws, but this is still a good offense with a much better shot, I think, than they had last year. But um, if if this keeps you up at night, if you are <laughs> an anxious person about Penn State football and you're here at 830 on a Monday night and you're combing through the details with us and maybe you're like me and your brain decides that, no, we're not going to shut off after doing that. We're not going to do that. Um, or maybe you're somebody who lives with pain or anxiety. Well, I have found a great solution that can help you out because it helps me out last night. I'm sorry, last week, Nate, when we were done with the show, I went and I watched the bills play and I got done with like 36 hours straight sitting in front of the computer. My body is ravaged by sitting pains, you know, like just sitting causes you pain in certain areas and some stress on your body. Um, the people at rogue shop are great and they help out with this quite a bit. They sell holistic products that are intended to help you with the things I just talked about and to help alleviate some of those things with uh, natural products, uh, CBD, THC, all of these things coming from natural products. And of course, uh, lab certified FDA approved products and materials that will help you and are guaranteed to help you get to sleep and live a life free of pain. And I know that uh, Richard, he, he's a, he's a disabled veteran. He's all about helping people in pain because he's helped a lot of people that have a similar background to him be able to live a better life because of that. And if you want to check out what they have, it's at rogueshop.com, R O G U E shop.com. You can use the promo code BWI for 10% off. And you can, uh, you know, use that promo code, by the way, please use that promo code. So they know you're coming from us. Last week, watching the Bills game, I finally figured out my dosage. I enjoyed watching the game, and then I went to sleep, and I slept harder than I slept in four or five evers. So I can attest to you this stuff works correctly. It's not going to, uh, if used properly, which they give you instructions of how to use everything properly. I have the Delta 9 gummies. I have to take a lower dosage because I've never had THC or cannabis before our uh our partnership with rogue shop and they'll tell you exactly how to use it they'll tell you exactly how much you know dial in your dosage and help you live a better more healthy life and i appreciate people who want to do that want to have a better cleaner life for all of us because we don't even realize the crap we consume sometimes hopefully this isn't crap you're consuming nate hopefully this here 
Blue White Illustrated Monday live show is a fulfilling part of a balanced football diet. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. But we need our defense. I want more. Yeah, give me more. <laughs> All right. Um, here, here's, I know I... I know I get to uh, like in the weeds a little bit too much sometimes with comments and listening to what, you know, the internet has to say, but a common theme that I've come out of a bunch of games so far this year with is the Penn state defense got lucky. Mm -hmm. Penn state defense. They can't play this way. What Mm -hmm. happens versus literally a Heisman candidate later? Yeah. They allowed 14 points in non garbage time. They allowed 226 yards and only three meaningful drives. What Can I else do you want? Well, and and it, it, look, I, I mean, I, I don't I I understand how this might sound, so I'm gonna uh, couch it a little bit. But Central Michigan got lucky, <laughs> right? Like there were some acrobatic, yeah. ridiculous catches that those guys are not gonna make in the future that all kind of happened at the same time on Saturday. And so credit where it's due central Michigan came to play was tough. Lou Nichols ran hard. They, they just, they were a tough team. I thought well-coached team that played up to Penn state's level. Uh, But I don't think it was necessarily an indictment on Penn state's defense to have had the game that the Penn State's defense did. They kept them out of the end zone. I, I, look, like again, and you and I talk about this all the time. Uh, but don't break is a thing. I, I yeah. couldn't believe it. Curtis Jacobs actually said it after the game. He was just like, "Yeah, it's our Ben, but don't break defense." <laughs> like, like people, that's what they, they want to do. They are willing to give up some yards. They are not willing to give up. I just pulled a stat. And this is this is money right here. This is what you pay me for. Yeah. Uh, how many chunk plays touchdowns has Penn State given up through four games? Chunk play touchdowns? Chunk play touchdowns. Uh, I can't think of one, but I'm just going to hazard and say one. One. Whoa! One. What do I win? Uh, my undying love and support. Um, oh, that was worth it. Listen, that's pretty good. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty good. If it, it because to me, I think it says a lot about what their identity is. They are willing to give you 10, 15 yards. They don't have a ton of chunk plays that they've given up in the first place, but yeah. they're like that happens. They will give that up. They are not going to let you get behind them. And when the opportunity arises, their intent is to make you pay. Their intent is to not lull you into making a mistake, but the more cracks that they get at you, the yeah. better the likelihood is that someone's going to make a play. And so you saw that when Jalen Reed comes from the blind side and forces an interception. Zaki Wheatley has to finish it off, but that that's a that's a collaborative thing at this point for yeah. Penn State's defense. And I think that you see it 
coming into James Franklin said it last week on his radio show. Every week that Manny Diaz has this defense, it it's taking another step in that direction of knowing what they're doing and making those types of plays. They've forced quarterbacks to throw into some of the worst looks I've seen in a long time. Now, they face three good quarterbacks. I don't mean talent-wise. I mean play the position well, see the field well, make good decisions in, in games. And one of them was one of the best players in the Big Ten last year in, in uh, uh, Aiden O'Connell. They forced the ball out in 2.29 seconds. Mm-hmm. Like that was that was how quickly O'Connell got rid of the ball in week one. That's how quickly that uh, the quarterback Richardson was his name, right? I think that was yeah, his name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he he got the ball out in two point two nine seconds. When he didn't, deny Dennis Sutton had five pressures on ten plays. So this defense is doing things that is it is fundamentally changing the game plan for the offense. Now, do you give up some passes in these situations? Sure. Mm-hmm. But Brent Pry's defense last year gave up some yards and some passes. The idea that you're going to give up zero yards is unrealistic. And I understand it's Central Michigan, and, and I've got some, some people out there. I got my insiders that are the, amongst, among the fan base because I never actually leave my hovel. I never leave my work dungeon. Some of the comments I've heard of like, You've got to score. You've got to like shut out every opponent, you know, because you're Penn State. I don't understand. They got four or three on defense, three extra opportunities for the offense. The game script, Nate, we talked about this a little bit earlier with the offense. The game script was that the defense gave the ball to the offense three times and they still only won by 19 points. Mm hmm. If if Penn State's able to convert more touchdowns in the first half, does anyone have anything to say about the way Central Michigan moved the ball? <sighs> I don't know because people see it and it it stands in their minds. But no, I mean I, I understand your point. I, I think, but people uh, people tend to fixate. I think a little bit on that the, the the i mean because they did they had i mean they had uh what like four possessions of four minutes or more i want to say mm-hmm. uh there were like it's not as though central michigan was bad uh offensively they they, they one they were effective at moving the ball. They weren't at the beginning of the game and that played into Penn state's hands and helped Penn state build up a lead. But once they got their footing under them, yeah, an 11 play 45 yard drive uh, for a touchdown. But 11 plays in 45 yards. Like totally, totally. (laughs) That's that's good defense. Like even if you give up a touchdown there, you are forcing them to eat dirt. Every play. There's no explosive plays there. Three three and outs are not yeah. going to happen on every single possession. It doesn't matter yeah. who you're playing. It's just not realistic. Uh, and and the same deal for for preventing touchdowns. Sometimes you're going to give up some touchdowns. It's just a matter That's of coming. Yeah. How will how will this defense translate to a a more explosive, more consistent offense? And I, I mean I. 
I'm anxious to find out because I mean, I really do think that so much of the formula for these guys is that turnover component and and a, and a splash play component. This, none of this is yeah. new. None of this is a mystery. This is what James Franklin has wanted to implement at Penn State for the entirety of his tenure is yep. sacks, tackles for loss, strip sacks, uh, right? Forced interceptions, you, you name it. All of those things. Uh, um, who who had the, um, uh, it's escaping me right now. Was it Johnny Dixon that had the, or Kalen King? Kalen King, King the fourth force fumble. Right, yeah. the force fumble like that, but <laughs> they're they're moments of the game, but they dictate the outcome. They right, it's just a it's just a such a, a flash in in the course of the game. But if you can do that, you will win. You will yeah. you will give your opportunity or your offense an opportunity to go uh, finish off the game, and that's what they did. Uh, yeah, and to me, that's that's the thing is if Penn State puts up thirty. 28 points. Let's say just 28 points in the first half. Maybe 31. Let's let's get crazy here. Yep. Then Central Michigan can't get their game plan in. Correct. They cannot go with their game flow. They were able to run the ball a little bit. And, and again, coming up tomorrow, I'll have the film study about where 25 of their 100 yards came from. And it's a spoiler alert. It's not Jonathan Sutherland. Um, that they would not be able to stay in the game if the if the Penn State defense who gave them these opportunities with the PBUs, the three and outs early, all that stuff, if that's then turned into points. And Aaron Belansky says, we're what, number one in PBU and the number two team is like 20 or less or 20 less than Penn State. Yeah, this is PB University now, Nate. I'm this is that. This is PB University. I'm coining that phrase right now. Penn State has more pass breakups and they force more quarterbacks into those situations than any other defense that I've seen recently. But, and this is the thing I think is important. I I believe these corners are good enough to go toe-to-toe with the big scary teams on the schedule. Galen King and Joey Porter Jr. are legitimate NFL talents. You talked about before the spring or before the season, we talked about Johnny Dixon. It's not an either or it's all three of them with Kalen King and Johnny Dixon and Joey Porter Jr. The question to me is going to be when Penn State faces a good offensive line that does not allow immediate pressure and other players and other game plans where maybe you don't get pressure immediately and guys leak out of the backfield and, you know, there's a less contained is that part going to hold up? Right. That's the big thing to me is does that pass rush get home? Because we've seen throughout the season that's improving, but they have not faced a good offensive line yet. And they will this week, by the way, in Northwestern. Yeah. You know, that's one they've seen. I, I think that that some of your, some of your post game analysis on Purdue said that it wasn't all quick game passing. Right. And, yeah. and they had a ton of pass breakups in that game. Um, so no, I, I mean, I look, I, I think that the, again, there, there are lots of things that you think about these guys and as the season progresses and as the competition gets a little bit harder, they're going to have the opportunity to live up to that because right now what you think, I I feel the exact same way. I, I don't think that there's any question to me that yes, they can do the work of, the 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 day to day the play by play all of that in terms of normal pass defense, but I also think that they are opportunistic with a chance to be 
more opportunistic. Yeah. Uh, th- this was, I guess, the reason I'm riding hard today for the Penn State defense because of some of the things I I, I talked in the post game and some of the things I've heard and seen since because that was a dominant performance. Yeah, in a, in a lot of different ways, a lot of things clicked for the Nittany Lions where they were getting good pressure from their defensive ends, and then they were getting great play, elite play, exceptional play from their corners. So. I, I think that as you see, and you talked about James Franklin saying every week this is getting better. This couldn't have gone better for the Nittany Lions in terms of they survive week one against Purdue. Yeah. Then offensively, they face a couple of good Mac quarterbacks and a bad Auburn uh, quarterback. So yeah. they're able to get their sea legs underneath them. They, they haven't faced a two-dimensional offense really at this point. Um. So I guess the only question is, can they, but I don't, can you answer that? Like, can, can this sustain the way they're playing? And does yeah, it need to, it doesn't yeah, I mean, need I, to, do you think that the offense will, will need them to do that again this year? Look, I think, I think that the offense has done enough at this point for me to believe that they're, I, I don't envision, and obviously things can change, but turning into that team that, you know, Penn State fans were hoping and praying could get to 24 points. I don't see that. Like, I don't, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just, I just struggle to see the environment and, and maybe, maybe it happens. Maybe there's a couple of games like that, but a couple of games like that is very different from every game is like that. Every game you have to figure out how to get defensive points on the board because you know that the offense can't supply them. I just, right. I mean, that's stat about, what did they do last year? It was 10 power five opponents that Penn state never exceeded 30 points again, or 28 points offensively. It was, tw- it was 28. I remember because that the, the number last year was 24, right? That's that comes to my brain. Cause you, you got that and you saw that stat from last season that they're, and they've the lowest out points. So the lowest um, output this year in points has been 33, which is pretty yeah. good. Yep. And it, you know, uh, make some PATs and it's 35. So anyway, right. <laughs> so uh, no, I mean, let's, I think let's, I... let's talk about that though. Let's talk yeah. about that. Um, our resident special teams expert, Nate Bauer here on the BWI daily edition. Yep. I'm here for it. How do you, how do you handle the duality of the punter? Once again, is a punt. God is, is yeah. amazing. He's so good. And the rest of it seems rather suspect. I thought that James Franklin seemed genuinely like it was the most upset of anything from that game was his critique of special teams. That kickoff placement and direction was not consistent and not right, not where it needs to be. And that the, the place kicking in general. So that's, uh, blocking, snap, hold, kick—all all of those elements was not were not where it needed to be. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> I poo pooed it. Uh, you know, when Jake Pittaker had problems against Ohio, uh, I don't know that I'm gonna poo poo it now. I think that yeah. there's probably a you know, look, you will find yourself in close games at some point, and I and I do think that my earlier point of hey make it so that it doesn't matter. Yep. It's 
still stands that, yeah. that if, if, if they're if, like that game last year, like the Michigan game last year, if Penn state is finding itself in 21 to 17 games, then yes, it magnifies the importance of the field goal kicker, but also it means that Penn state offensively is not executing at the level that it needs to. And so I, th- I think that that carries the day, but, 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 but you, yeah, you can't, you can't have these lapses. I mean, Landon Tangwall got jumped over on that PAT for that block. Like the, the, the PAT blocks yeah. sh- should not look like that. It, yeah. They should not be as, I mean, that dude went straight up the middle. It wasn't in doubt. It wasn't as though it was an athletic play. Literally Chris Stoll turns around and he's like, what, what happened? <laughs> How, how did this happen? You know, it's for, like for you as much as out. for as much as Penn State, uh, and I want to get to David here because he he's just showed up. So I'm run on one to remind you guys, 2022 Big Ten champs, Nate T. Frank, you know it. Oh, hey, thanks, David. He wanted to make sure we got that on, <laughs> so he's giving us a donation to the channel. Appreciate that. Um, that this is gonna matter though, and that, so I agree with you. Fundamentally, I agree with you that score more points and then your field goal and extra point won't matter as much. Mm-hmm. But Penn State doesn't have that offense. And Penn State hasn't had that offense because of the first half of the show. So, the, and, and I think we're kind of, I'm coming to this conclusion and kind of coming to this reality, watching this story unfold over the last couple of years is you can have the right answer when it comes to explosive plays, score more points. Passing game is the most efficient way to get explosive plays. But if you just don't have it, you need every edge. And mm-hmm. is there is there a solution that you can see in the works for the kicking situation? Or is it just going to be one of those hold your breath when it happens? I, I certainly think uh, that the pressure on... Stacy Collins will exist in right. It's so uh, I, I don't, it feels to me as though that's where it starts, but the way that Penn state has its special team set up in the first place, it includes all of the other assistant coaches. And so yes, Stacy Collins is the point man, but it's, it's solution time because if it was just Jake Pinnaker missing kicks, be it PAT, like just missing then sure, you have an easier solution there. You can say to yourself, okay, well, it's this is a personnel change because yeah. whether or not uh, Sanders Sahidek has hit at the same rate in practice or not, at that point becomes irrelevant because you simply say to yourself, well, look, it's not happening in one game, right? Like in the game for one of these guys. And so therefore you have to, you have to try the next guy. You just, you have to. Uh, that's not the case. That's yeah. not the case here. I think that Jake Pinnaker has his own inconsistencies that that have to be addressed and that he'll have to figure out for sure. But it's not limited to him. This is an operational failure. Uh, and and you know kickoffs like that. I don't understand any of this. Okay, <laughs> put that out there. But I'm yeah. just saying if if the instruction to the kicker is hey this is where the ball needs to be for the kickoff coverage to operate correctly and to work, then that needs to happen. And yeah. if, and whether it's a, a lapse in concentration or a, an inability to execute, there were four guys, Penn state had four people competing 
for kickoffs in the yeah. preseason. <laughs> if if somebody's not doing it, you, you got to go to the next guy or you got to figure out some way to get everyone on the same page to, to execute that correctly. I want to get to a couple of questions here in the chat before we wrap up. And thanks, everybody, for spending an hour with us here on YouTube. I'm Thomas Frank Card. That is Nate Bauer. We are here on the BWI Daily Edition. If you're listening to on the, us on the podcast version of this, thanks for listening. I know that uh, we're talking in the chat with the people here. So I do my best to make sure everyone in the viewing audience knows what's going on. But if I get miss some of that stuff, I do apologize. And our... Uh, Nate, our, our podcast audience is blowing up almost as much as our YouTube audience. And they uh, they don't get enough shout outs here on the show because we're always doing this live here with people that are present. But uh, I want to thank everybody who listens on the, the podcast version as well. Lee does have a question, though. PJ, and I'm assuming PJ Musfer here, had a lot of tackles. Have uh, Are you worried about his recovery from his injury? Have they Have your worries about his recovery from his injury subsided? Uh, I think yes for me, but I don't think that means he's back to what he was last year. And I know you're, you're writing something about him for the magazine, right? I mean, I literally just finished it. So, uh, no, my worries about his recovery from his injury have not subsided because I, well, no, look, I just think it's a, it's a little bit of a roller coaster for these guys. The story that I just wrote was about PJ and Adisa Isaac and, Adisa had a great game, a nice game at Auburn, and then followed it with a less nice game. He didn't have a great day tackling on Saturday, um, but his pass rush was one of his better days. I'm I'm looking at the PFF stats and how yeah. he's graded out. Yeah. Uh, PJ has been kind of ho hum, right? His yeah. his uh, effectiveness at changing the game has not necessarily been at the level that I think he would probably acknowledge he would like it to be. However, six tackles is six tackles, and that's the most production from a stat standpoint that he's had this season. Yep. So it like everyone that, uh, you know, kind of gathering quotes and compiling how that story was going to be written, I was looking for really anything and everything that anybody had said about those guys through the course of the season. And I went back to John Scott. John Scott had an interview last week. Uh, with the media where he was talking about like, Hey, this is, it's, it's not necessarily a straight upward line. There are, there are, you know, this path back to, for both of these guys is he was proud of it. He, he was happy with how they had, how far they had come as it is, but there's still, there's still more room to grow basically. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like I said all offseason, I think this was my point about don't expect P.J. Mustafer from 2021 because he didn't have the same offseason. And then Correct. playing and being able to withstand being at training camp and now being a year removed from the injury, you I have less concerns about it falling apart. But I, this is where I wonder, and I don't know the sports science of it, how much can he recover to good? from a, from an right. athletic standpoint and from a strength standpoint and from quickness and, and all of those muscle fibers firing together and recruiting more of them and developing more of them. How much can you do when you're practicing and you're playing and you're exerting and all that stuff's happening? That's the part I don't really know. And that's why I was never really high on the idea of PJ must for being the guy everyone thought was going to be. Some people told me a first round pick last year. And, and, and first off, he's not that level of an athlete. 
And secondly, like now off the injury, I think that's going to be a problem too. Another question here about the defensive line. Still Sorry, a guy that you want still now, just still a guy that you want to have like, it, yeah, right. Nobody, nobody downplays what PJ Mustafer means to the defense as a whole. You're going to have him in there. You want him in the game. Uh, it's just a matter of, is he going to be as disruptive necessarily as he may have been earlier in his career? I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, his hands still work. His mind still works. He's, he's not broken. That's a, that's I, I, it always goes to like an either or when we get talking about this stuff, it sounds like I'm saying, oh, he's a shell of himself. He's not good. And like, no, oh, yeah. but he's just not what you saw. Dominating the next train. The <laughs> exactly. Joshua asks a, a question. I'm going to ask a question after Joshua and this. We will wrap up with this. Is Denai Dennis not physically ready to play early in games or is it more because of depth at the position? Um, I'm going to phrase it this way. Has Denai earned the opportunity to play earlier in games by dominating garbage time. I think I know your answer. No. <laughs> I So I, I was going to say pump the brakes until I saw him absolutely destroy the, the starting offensive line for central Michigan when they were forced to hold on to the ball, his ability to win quickly. Yeah. His, and like his that first two move, sacks in the last drive. Yeah. His, his, his like, <clears throat> He's not what you'd think when it comes to a five-star athlete, which is why I've, what I, I've tried to prep people about this for his whole recruiting process of like, he's big, he's strong, but he's built like an oak tree. So he's, he's not going to be a Dafe Owe, but that doesn't mean he can't be devastating. Um, and he devastated. And, and he, in the uh, mop-up duty against Auburn, devastated. The question is, people are playing really well right now. Nick Tarburton's doing a good job getting some pressure. So are there enough snaps for everybody? That's a, a question I'm surprised by a yeah. month into the season. But this is after a Mac team. And again, not to go back and forth on is Central Michigan good or not. Like these are the conversations you can have after this particular run of games, I guess. Yeah. No, I, th- I mean, I you, you're right. I, I It didn't necessarily dawn on me right away, but he was great at the end of that game on Saturday. And so, yeah, I mean, you just, you're going to, I don't know, you're going to, you're, you're going to have to play that out and let the guys who, uh, you know, kind of rise to the top, get their, get their reps and go from there. Yeah. And, and Josh, I'd say it's, it's a depth thing and it's about, he's still learning in that position has shaped up better than I expected it to, but I, I counted it and I was going through when I was watching the film, five of the 10 passing plays, he had a pressure of some sort and several were hits and several were sacks. So that's pretty damn good. This show's been pretty damn good. This is fun. I always appreciate oh, talking stop. to you on air. It's great. Love, love reconnecting, buddy. Uh, this is, this will do it for the BWI daily edition. I'm Thomas Frank Harvitz, <laughs> Nate Bauer. We will be back uh, later this week. Tomorrow, it's the recruiting show. So if you want to know about the future, deny Dennis Sutton's is and the future Nick Singleton's is then check out that show. Who was here? Who's coming up? All that coming up on the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr. That's Nate Bowers' microphone. We'll oh my talk goodness. to you. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. <laughs>